I mean, how many of you ever heard the name Sir Edmund Hillary? Raise your hand, raise high. You've heard the name Sir Edmund Hillary, all right? How many of you have ever heard the name Tenzing Norgay? All right, one, one person. Um, in 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary climbed to the summit of Mount Everest. He was the first man to ever do that in history. But he didn't do it alone. Sir Edmund Hillary had a companion by the name of Tenzing Norgay. While nobody ever hears his name, when you talk about um, climbing Mount Everest, uh, you never hear anybody say anything about Tenzing Norgay. But if you know anything about his story, you know this, he was a hero. Then uh, Tenzing Norgay was a hero. And what many people don't know about the story of Sir Edmund Hillary and Mount Everest is that on the way back down the mountain, he fell. He took a serious, serious fall. And he would have been lost had it not been for his companion who literally pulled him back up the cable and literally saved his life. Sir Edmund Hillary lived to tell a, a great story because of the help of an unnamed man. And when someone asked Norgay why he didn't brag about it, why he didn't talk about it or broadcast it, he said this, we mountain climbers help each other. And in the passage before us tonight, Solomon stresses the importance of friendship, of companionship, of having people in our lives and valuing those uh, people that help us along the way. Uh, uh, a Jewish proverb says this, a friendless man is like a left hand bereft of the right. I personally thank the Lord for the friends that, that he has allowed me to have in my 59 years of living. And I'm thankful tonight for the benefits that I have received from their presence uh, in my life. I just was preaching in Dayton, Ohio recently and, and got to reconnect with, with one of the, the two best friends that I have uh, in the ministry, Brother Jim Love. He's about an hour since now, he's about an hour from Dayton. So he drove up and we had supper together and, and he was there for the preaching. And, and, uh, and I love times like that. And every time Jim and I see one another, or Brother Jerry Locke and I see one another, it's like, we, it's like we have lunch together every day. It's like we've never been apart. It's like we just pick up where we left off. There's no reconnecting, really, um, because our lives are that in, intertwined together. We're that close in, in our friendship. Uh, there have been numerous occasions uh, when I have experienced the reality of what Solomon 
is going to teach us from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that two are better than one. Two are better than one. And he tells us that for several uh, reasons. First of all, two are better than one vocationally. Look at verse 9, Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. The bottom line is this. Two working together can get more done than one working alone. And I would put a little asterisk there and say most of the time. Somebody would say, preacher, if you had that clown that I work with, you would say, eh. And I know some of you, I'd rather work alone, i get more done alone. I'm talking as a general principle, okay? As a general principle. Um, some of you have heard the story uh, from back in the 1930s. I, Brother Dewey, you're probably there, I don't know. Um, from the 1930s, when, uh, when a group of spectators had gathered for uh, an old-fashioned horse pool, which was really the precursor to tractor pools today, okay? Today we have tractor pools. Back in the day, they had horse pools. But they would, it was the very same principle. They would put a sled behind a horse, and they would load that sled with weight, and they would see what horse could drag the most weight the farthest. And so they were, they were there, and, and, and they were having this horse pull, and, and a horse named Daisy won. She pulled 4,500 pounds. A horse by the name of Plowboy came in second, pulling 4,400 pounds. So Daisy pulled 45, Plowboy pulled 44. When they finished, some men who were watching the competition began to wonder and discuss among themselves how much the two of them could pull together. And so they harnessed them together separately. They pulled nearly 9,000 pounds. And so they were just curious how much they could pull if they pulled together. And so they, they harnessed them together. And together, Daisy and Plowboy pulled more than six tons or 12,000 pounds together. That's 3,000 pounds or 33% more together than what they were able to pull alone. And so the moral of that story is pretty simple. There's power in numbers. As a pastor, when, when I see you working together with one another, uh, honestly, I look beyond what is accomplished in terms of, of what can be seen. And in my heart as a pastor with pastor eyes, so to speak, I look at what is being accomplished in terms of what can't be seen. And here's what can't be seen, and that is the, the friendship and the, and the camaraderie that is formed when God's people work together. Now, I've been in this church long enough. I've heard enough stories. I've heard enough testimonies of, of how 
why you're still here and, and why you got involved in Fellowship Baptist Church and why this is still your church home after so many years. And the testimony uh, is, is often the same. You know, I just got involved in ministry and I started making friendships and I started bonding with people and it all happened when, when God's people started working together. It doesn't matter if you're mowing the grass, if you're rearranging a classroom, um, if, you're, if you're painting or, or whatever. I'm telling you, if, if, you, if you're here tonight and, and, and you've struggled connecting with somebody in Fellowship Baptist Church, I would encourage you tonight very strongly to pick a ministry and get involved in ministry and start working together for the glory of God with God's people and see if that doesn't create some bonding and some friendships and some camaraderie. Because that's the story of a lot of people that are sitting right here. They just got involved in ministry and singing in a choir and, and getting called down by Pastor Tyler because they're always talking. Of course, that only happens in the alto section. The rest of us don't get in trouble about that stuff. Them altos, yep, 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 all the time. If you don't believe me, just hang out at me for choir practice tonight. You'll see. Always yapping over there. And it just seems like that's the biggest, that's the biggest part of the choir, too. So, anyway, I digress. It's amazing. Listen, it's amazing how you can go to church for somebody for years and never really know them and spend two weeks together in a Sunday school class or a children's church class or a KFC class or singing in a choir or working in the team ministry and, and boom, I mean, you, you work together for two hours, two weeks, two days, whatever. And like, wow, I never knew that. But that's what happens when God's people begin working together, I, I look at, at how things happen during the Amen Conference. I mean, it, it is a, a hive of busyness. But yet, men are working together. And again, the friendship and the camaraderie that is built there is invaluable. And man, I love what gets done. And, and, I, and you can see what's getting done. But what I love the most is what I know is going on inwardly. And that is the bonding process and the, the friendship building. And so two are, are better than one vocationally when we're serving together and ministering together and working together. But look at verse 10. It's also true relationally. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah once said this, Loneliness is a warning light on an inner gauge that confirms we're running short on a primary fuel we require to run efficiently. Look at it again. Loneliness is a warning light on an inner gauge that confirms that we're running short on a primary fuel that we require to run efficiently. And what, what is that fuel? It's relationships. It's friendships. It's people in our lives. Uh, the truth is, church, we were made for relationships. 
Well, I'm just a loner. You weren't created that way. You weren't created that way. You were created for relationships, for companionships. From the very beginning of time, God ordained that man should not live his life alone. You remember what he said? It is not good that man should be alone. Now, church, think about this. Where did he say that? He said that in a perfect environment. There was no sin. It was a perfect environment. And yet God said, it's not good that man is alone. And if it wasn't good in the perfect environment of the garden, then then how much more in the day and age in which we live, in which sin rules and reigns, how much more important is it and advantageous is it for us to have friendships and relationships in our lives? As you well know, the the path of life can get long. Amen? It can be long. It can be steep. It can be hard. It can be rough. And I, I don't know if this is the right word to use or not, but I, I, I pity or I feel for the one who has to travel that road alone. I, I feel for the one who has no one to laugh with in good times and, and no one to, to lean on in bad. And you know, God is, God is so awesome. Yesterday was what would have been T.J. and Sheena's 14th anniversary and and I was alone in my office, and I got to thinking about that, and, and it just overwhelmed me. It just did. It just overwhelmed me. And, I mean, it just brought me to tears. I couldn't do anything but weep. And, and as, as God does, I got a call from a preacher friend. He said, what are you doing? Yeah, you really don't want to know. Ah, what are you doing? So I told him. And so we, we just talked and took care of what we needed to get care of and got ready to hang up. And he said, hey, can I pray with you? And I said, absolutely. I'm just telling you, life can be hard sometimes. And we need those people that are willing to just say, hey, can I pray with you? We need those kind of people. Keep your finger here in Proverbs and, and or Ecclesiastes. Then turn to Proverbs, would you? Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, or Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Excuse me. Proverbs chapter seventeen. I, I know you know this verse, but I want us to look at it anyway. Proverbs chapter seventeen. This really illustrates. The story that I just shared with you, verse 17, a friend loveth all times, all times. Look at it, and a brother is born for adversity. You know why God puts those kind of people in our lives? Because sometimes, sometimes we just need them to pick up the phone and catch us in the middle of a good cry and say, hey, can I pray with you? They're born for adversity. My 
brother was one of the first people in my house after he found out that TJ died. Brothers are born for adversity. Not just flesh brothers, but Christian brothers. They're born for adversity. And, and I would say this tonight, thank God for, for true friends. And I emphasize true. I'm talking about those people who are there for us in good times and in bad. Let's be honest, sometimes we can be really bad. But they love us anyway. I'm talking about those friends who love us unconditionally. I hope you have some of those. Let's not forget in, in, in all of this, listen, this is also a biblical truth, that a man that hath friends must show himself what? Friendly. It's easy. And here's why I bring that up tonight. Because it's easy in a message like this for someone to throw a pity party for themselves. I'm not being mean. I'm being honest. Because of their way of thinking, they have no friends. No one to walk with them. No one to lift their spirits when they're down. And, and I, I, I want to I I offer a gentle rebuke tonight um, by saying this that maybe it would help if you worried less about making friends and worked harder at being a friend. I'm not getting in your face. It's a gentle rebuke. Well, I don't have any friends. Well, what kind of friend have you endeavored to be? Dale Carnegie observed that we can make more friends in two months of showing interest in others than in two years of trying to get them interested in us. Number three, two are better than one emotionally. Look at verse 11. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? In Solomon's time, coal was a very serious issue. Um, when one was forced to sleep out in the open, as they often were, or even in a tent, the more bodies that huddled together, then the warmer they would be. The Aborigines of Australia often used the phrase, a three-dog night. Now I'm going to look around and see who all the hippies are. I see some over here. I knew there's some over here. And we look around, ah, yeah, I'm not talking about that three-dog night. All right, come back to church, come back, come back. Now, some of you young ones, what are you talking about? Well, YouTube it. The Aborigines of Australia often used that phrase, a three-dog night, and here's, here's what it meant. Um, it meant that, that when they were in the outback, and it was really, really, really cold outside, it meant that it was so cold that it would take at least three dogs laying around them to keep them warm. And so I was interested. I said, well, where did these cats get that cats? Where did these guys, ah, hey, cats, Karen, stop it. 
Where did these guys get, why did they name their group Three Dog Night? And so I Googled it. And if it's on the internet, you know it's true, right? (laughs) And so it had to do with that very thing. They understood the where the saying came from. They understood the principle of a three-dog night. That the more dogs you did, it was going to take three dogs around me to, to keep me warm. And uh, so they, hey, we're buddies, we're friends. And so they just called themselves three-dog night um, and just kept smoking. But um, <laughs> all right, I'm digressing bad. Stop it, Dustin. You, you make me do bad things, dude. Bad. I'm reminded of the illustration that um, I've used a number of times in counseling. Um, I've used it a number of times from a pulpit. It's very simple, but, but yet it's, it's very applicable and it's very easy to understand. Um, at least it used to be. Now you've got people cook with pellets. They don't cook with charcoal anymore. Um, but if you still cook with charcoal and you understand what I'm saying, you put all the little briquettes in there and you spread the fluid around, you light it on fire. But when the flames go down, then, then those little briquettes start growing, glowing really red. They get really hot and they start glowing. And if you were to reach in there with a pair of tongs and pull out one of those briquettes and, and set it aside, it wouldn't be long when it would be cool to the touch. And you could, you could pick it up and handle it uh, because it, it wouldn't be on fire anymore. It wouldn't be warm anymore. But yet, if you take that briquette and place it back in the group, then it won't be long before it's glowing red hot just like the rest of them. And, and, and so the point of that tonight is this. We need people in our lives to help us um, it's important that they, they, they help us to stay on track for the Lord. They keep us accountable and they encourage us and they do what we studied a few weeks ago in Bible study class. They provoke us to good works and they encourage us uh, emotionally. And, and that's why I would say tonight that you need a church family. You just do. You need to be a part of corporate worship. And, and, you know, I've talked to many people who, because of work or whatever, um, oftentimes they've, they've got to miss church, and, and their testimony is, preacher, it's hard not being able to be with my church family and, and not being able to, to, to fellowship with, with Christian people. It gets hard. And that's why you need to be a part of a church family and why you need to be involved in a fellowship Bible class. Um, I read the, uh, just this week uh, why it's important to be, uh, somebody had posted why it's important to be part of a small group, and, and one thing that I never thought about, but it's so true, because we do it in our class every week, is it, it gives you a short uh, list of things to pray for. I mean, if, I, if we started taking prayer requests tonight, we'd have a list a mile long, but because we're in a small group, then the, the number of things that we can pray about is, is shortened in two or three or four things. And, and I don't know about you, but it'd be easier for me to pray for those things faithfully during the week than it is to try to pray for everything that you guys would bring up tonight. 
Does that make sense? And so there are just a lot of advantages to being in a small group, um, but camaraderie and friendship and, and, and emotional strength and help is, uh, is one of them. Uh, it's a cold and cruel world that we live in. I mean, it is. And there's nothing like the love of a, of a friend or a church family to warm our hearts when the cold winds of discouragement blow over our soul. A friend's love is, and this isn't original with me, I read it, a friend's love is like a warm blanket of affection, excuse me, affection and affirmation that keeps us safe from life's bitter chills. And then, then look at verse 12, we'll be done. Two are better than one practically. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I said earlier that there is powers, or excuse me, power in numbers. But not only is that true, this is true as well. There's safety in numbers. There's safety in numbers. Um, you've heard it said one is the loneliest number. Um, <laughs> just dawned on me. One is, never mind, okay. All right, wow. Some of you, man, that was quick for some of you. You've heard it said. Because it's true, not just because somebody sung about it. That one is the loneliest number, but listen, it's also the riskiest. It's also the, the riskiest number. Surely that's partially the reason why Jesus over in the book of Luke chapter 10, sent his disciples out two by two. There was a reason for that. When I read verse 9, you go back and look at it, I, I, I think of the labor of a friend. When I read verse 10, I think of the life of a friend. When I look at verse 11, I think of the love of a friend. When I come to verse 12, I think of the loyalty of a friend. You know, in, in, the, in the times of the Bible, um, much of their warfare uh, was done hand-to-hand. -hand. I mean, it was hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so many times they would, they would fight like this, and the other guy would have his back to my back, and he would be fighting this way so that they could turn together. And, and by, by fighting that way, then they could, they could see every enemy coming from every angle. Thus the phrase, I got your back. That's what it means. I'm loyal. It still means the same thing today. Hey, don't worry about it, man. I got your back. What does that mean? It means I'm for you. And I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect your reputation. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to protect your name. Um, doesn't matter what others say. I'm not going to stand for it. And, and, and so we, we, we talk about that. Um, and I would say tonight that the only thing better or stronger than the friendship of, uh, between two people is a friendship between three. A threefold cord is not easily broken. When I was getting ready for this message, I read this. A friend is a treasure. Two friends is a treasure house. I like that. A friend is a treasure, and that's true. Two friends is a treasure house. Um, I'll close with this. Many of you will remember um, back in 2002, 
about the, the nine uh, miners in Pennsylvania who got trapped underground. It was like 240 feet underground in a water-filled mine shaft. And uh, it was reported uh, by CNN that those nine men decided early on that they, they were either going to live together or they were going to die together, one of the two. The biggest threat they faced was dying of hypothermia. And so according to one news report, when one would get cold, the other eight would huddle around that person and warm that person. And when another person got cold, then the favor would be returned. And they quoted a man by the name of, of Harry Mayhew. And he said this after being released from the hospital. He said, everybody had strong moments, but at one certain time, maybe one guy got down. And then the rest pulled together. And then that guy would get back up and maybe someone else would feel a little weaker. But it was a team effort. That's the only way it could have been. And what a perfect illustration of what Solomon is trying to teach us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. That to live successfully, it really needs to be a team effort. Because two are better than one.